Good morning again, saints. Our scripture is found in the New Testament of Matthew. And if you have a bulletin, it's actually on the back of the bulletin, on the back page, is our scripture reading. <clears throat> it comes from chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Matthew. Matthew. Chapter 3, 13 through 17. Very familiar story. Please stand with me as we read God's word. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized of you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Amen. I have been assigned the task. I was supposed to sit in for the pastor probably five weeks ago. But he changed his mind. And so a couple weeks ago when Brother Gary was going to uh, make his presentation, I knew that. And I was praying about this. And it dawned on me that if he would speak the same message that I'm about to talk about, I would have to make changes at last minute. And in processing that thought, Another thought came to mind. Even if he spoke what you are going to talk about verbatim, go ahead with what you have to say anyway. I've stuck to that thought. I stuck to that thought. And so you might hear some things that he already said. But before I go forward, Before I speak with you, I'd like to speak with my father first. You may join me. My heavenly father, I have never been to school to study homiletics, hermeneutics, or theology or any such thing to qualify me to be a speaker before your people. But I'm a vessel. I'm prepared for you to use this vessel today so work that miracle again. And the power that you have used to embolden men to live and to speak. I pray that it will be on me today. In Jesus' name, I pray that you will also bless your people. Please, Lord, for your name's sake, I pray. Amen. title of the presentation is Love 
of God. And I want to go back to the last presentation or sermon I delivered and talk about some things that are very important according to my understanding and my belief. And it will run right into what Frank read that I'll eventually talk about. So probably the first 15 minutes will be part of my old sermon. The Bible is very amazing. There are times when it asks questions, and in most cases when it asks questions, it answers them immediately. Isaiah 28, 14 and 15 asks a question and answers it. It says, to whom shall you teach knowledge? And who shall you make to understand doctrine? The answer, them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast, for precept must be upon, line must be upon, we're going to talk about scripture here a little and there are a little. So as we walk through, we're going to also be looking at the spirit of prophecy. And I, uh, I'm not necessarily looking for your approval, but it's okay <laughs> for you to give me your approval. Ellen White writes, the Bible was not written for the scholar alone. On the contrary, it was designed for the common people. The great truths that are necessary for salvation are made as clear as noonday. And none will mistake. And none will what? Mistake. And lose their way except those who follow their own judgment, judgment of course, instead of the plainly revealed will of God. We talked about God coming down to meet with Israel and the representation and I want to take you to Exodus. Let's go to Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. God showed up. He came to demonstrate his love. But one would wonder, why would a God of love show up in such a manner? To meet with a bunch of people who didn't know him. Moses is in the wilderness with the children of Israel. They left Egypt. And Moses is now at Sinai. And he is on the mount talking with God. And God sent him unto the people. And I'm going to pick up at verse 7 of chapter 19. And Moses came and called the elders of the people. And laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. God commanded him and he laid before their faces. And all the people, verse 8, answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, 
And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So there's a communication going between God and the rest of the individuals with Moses via Moses. He was the vehicle of communication. And God provided instructions to Moses as to how the people should prepare so that they could meet him. Verse 16, and it came to pass on the third morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and a voice of a trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp, camp rather trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether or farther part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it. In fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. He came to show love. Why wasn't he soft? He came to show love. But God has an objective. He meets our needs. Amen? Amen? He meets our needs. In this walk, he meets our needs. I've had my temptations and I haven't done well myself. And I'm glad I'm able to recognize that. What did he come to do? He came to tell him about his love. Love for himself and a love for other people. Now, I am going to quiz you. Let me tell you uh, beforehand. So please listen carefully. And I'd like to ask you to say after me. And if I, if I happen to say pause, it means I'm going to stop and comment. Depending on what's going on, I might change my mind. But if I say pause, that means I'm going to stop, say something, and I'll, you know, we start again. So let's go. Say after me. God purposed, God purposed to make the occasion of speaking his law a scene of awful grandeur in keeping with its elevated character. The people, the people were to be impressed, were to be impressed that, everything connected with the service of God that everything connected with the service of God must be treated with the greatest reverence. The Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will appear in the sight of the people upon Mount Sinai. Pause. 
preparation needed to be made to meet God. Here's what she continues to say. She said, during these intervening days, all, 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 that includes children. I didn't say pause, but that includes children and the aged. So let's go back. During these intervening days, During these intervening days all were to take spend time, all were to spend time in, solemn preparation in solemn preparation to appear before God. To appear before God. Their person. And their, clothing and their clothing should be free from impurity. Be free from impurity. And as Moses should point out their sins, they were to devote themselves to humiliation, fasting, fasting and, prayer, and prayer, that their souls might be free from iniquity. <laughs> from iniquity. The word free should be actually cleansed, but same message. I want to ask you this question. Did you spend time to appear before God today? And you don't have to answer. This is something that you need to think about. When you are coming to appear before the God who is almighty, do you take time to ready your soul to meet with him? In that camp, there were children. Everybody was cowering. They were wondering if any one of them would die. As a matter of fact, because of their behavior at Sinai, we were told that 3,000 people were killed. 3,000. Thousand. What did God come down to do? To show his love. To show his love. That is what you just said. Remember, everything connected with the service of God, whether it's the worship here, the tithe and offerings that you are giving charge to handle, you have a fiduciary responsibility of finances that God considers holy, and you should turn it over to him for his purpose. It doesn't matter if it's mission work. Anything connected to God must be treated with the greatest reverence. The place in which we conduct our worship service must be treated with the greatest reverence. And parents... The responsibility is upon you. I am a parent myself. You need to guard your children very carefully. They must be trained at home. I was having conversation with another person uh, or one of our members, and she wanted to know what in the world can I do, and I suggested to her, the children need to have time to sit quietly. They need to be trained to sit quietly for a while. And they need to be trained how to walk softly. So when you say walk softly, they already practice that at home repeatedly. And they know exactly the deep meaning of that word. They must be taught at home that this room is a holy place. 
because God gets together with us here. And listen, children will be children. I was one of them. You give us a chance to do what we're not supposed to do, guess what we're going to do? We will do it. Keep those things in mind. It's very important that you do. She continues. The Lord, or the glory of the Lord, was like a devouring fire on the top of the mount in the sight of the assembled multitude. And the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. So terrible were the tokens of Jehovah's presence that the host of Israel shook with fear and fell upon their faces before the Lord, even Moses. What did he say? Even Moses. I exceedingly feared and quaked. And Moses was the one who spoke with God face to face on many occasions. As a matter of fact, preceding this occasion, preceding this event, he was already talking with God. As a matter of fact, God spoke aloud his law in the presence of the people. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. He was presenting his law of love, but he wanted to put fear in the people. And Moses said unto the people, this is verse 20 of chapter 20, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. Was there an objective that God wanted to achieve? Yes or no? Yes. yes. He said, that you sin not. Is that important? Absolutely, it is important. These scriptures reveal the fact that to know God is to love him. Let's use a few of them. Let's go to Exodus chapter 34, 4 to 8. Can I have an open microphone? I'd like to ask somebody to help me with this reading here. Like Exodus chapter 34, 4 to 8. And by the way, the Ten Commandments are only ten of the rules that God gave to Moses. There's a host of uh, uh, commandments that he uh, uh, gave to Moses after he had spoken the Ten Commandments, and Moses wrote all of them down. They're here for your benefit in the subsequent chapter um, to chapter 20. Read them one of these days when you get home, maybe even this afternoon. You know, we get into long conversations and we fall asleep. Maybe we could try a couple of chapters and see how we do, and then we could pick up on the others at another time, okay? Start with chapter 19 and move through the rest of Exodus. Exodus chapter 34, 4 to 8. Go ahead. Exodus 34, 4 to 8. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tables of stone. Okay. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him 
and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Now let me ask this question. When God was describing himself, if we had all the people in this room with those characteristics, wouldn't you like to dwell among them? Yes. It would be nice to live with yourself, right? Amen. I agree with you. God wants us to be a copy of himself, not to be God, but to have the characteristics so that we might be able to live in his presence. Jeremiah chapter 31, 1 to 5. Can I be the same reader? 31, 1 okay. to 5. Actually, read 3 to 5. Jeremiah 31, 3 to 5. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shall go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Verse 5. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planter shall plant and shall eat them as common things. Okay, so what God is actually doing is he moved Israel out of the land. And he destroyed Jerusalem because they were not obeying his command. And one of the commandments that they violated continually was the Sabbath command. And God says, because you have not kept my Sabbaths, I'm going to remove you from the land. And he did. Now he is expressing his love again, saying that I am going to restore you and rebuild you. This is his expression to his people. And the third verse or third scripture that I shall use is, 1 John chapter 3, and I'll read it for you, verse 1, and it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew not God. But the, the, the meat of the matter is, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Mm -hmm. And in your own life, you could actually... Uh, look and see that God was very gracious to us. We're also commanded to love the Lord with everything we have. We've also been commanded to love the Lord with everything we have. The question to you is, how do we love the Lord? He gives us the answer in the Bible, and you know it. How do we love the Lord? By being obedient. In other words, the Ten Commandments along with the others that he gave his children, when we, yeah, when we keep them, we are actually demonstrating that we love him. 
Jehovah, the eternal, self-existent one, uncreated one. Uh, let me read it again. Jehovah, eternal, self-existent, uncreated one. Wow. Himself, the source and sustainer of all, is alone entitled to supreme reverence and worship. Man is forbidden to give to any other object the first place of his affections or his service. And this answer, this is an answer to a question I will ask later. Whatever we cherish that tends to lessen our love for God or to interfere with the service due to him, of that do we make a God. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you the answer now. It is the answer to the question, what is worldliness? Worldliness. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that take his name in vain. This commandment not only prohibits false oaths and common swearing, but it forbids us to use the name of God in a light or careless manner without regard to its awful significance. God guards his name jealously. You know how we are speaking and all of a sudden God just keeps coming up in the name, in, a, in the conversation and Jesus, and it doesn't have any relevance with the conversation itself. And we use his name to represent expletives, curse words. You hear people using his name in the midst of a sentence while they're cursing. And guess what? We talk and we say things too. We ought to be careful, pay attention, because God is not happy with such an action. So here are some points to consider. Just for repetition, the law the love of God is a revelation of God's character. Therefore, it is, a, it is exalted in nature. That's the law. He is most righteous and holy. Everything concerning his name, his service, is to be treated with the greatest reverence. Love must be bound up in all our behavior toward God and man. I should, I should have highlighted that. He will take time to prove you. He will take time to prove you. His will is that your soul be cleansed from iniquity. Please note that he also commands that nakedness should not be revealed during worship. I'll take you to the text. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. When he talked to Moses and he gave him the commandments, he told Moses that, well, Moses commented that God actually wanted to drive fear in the people, that they sin not. But go to verse 22. I'll read the whole thing going down to 26. I only needed a couple of verses, but I'm going to read the rest. 22 to 36. Uh, 22 to 26. Okay. I'll read. Okay. And the Lord stood afar off. And Moses drew near unto, uh, unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You, have not, you shall not rather make me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. 
An altar of earth thou shalt not make unto me. Nor shalt make. Thou shalt make unto me. Thank you. And shall sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. So with specificity, he is describing how they should go about their worship. Building an altar is a representation or an act of worshiping the Almighty or worshiping Christ. Verse 26. Neither shalt thou go by steps, go up. go up by steps unto mine altar, thy, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we ought to operate in this environment in a manner that we're not distracting people with nakedness. You know, we have a problem with dressing up and dressing down. Some people dress down, hair is low, and some people dress up, it's short. We ought to be very careful. And it goes also for men. We have to be very careful what we do. Uh, but we seem to have a problem in the female department uh, on a regular basis. So keep these things in mind. God said them, and it was part of his command. You agree? Amen. You agree. Okay. Another thing that he emphasized was, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. And he signed off on it by saying, I am the Lord. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. He didn't say, I am Moses. <laughs> I am the Lord. And we're told in these scriptures, if we do not obey, God will bring a curse upon us. God will bring a curse upon us if we don't obey. This is about the love of God. Now, that's one dramatic stage of God appearing before his people. There is another representation. He had promised that he was going to come and do something for us. And Jesus came on the scene. Matthew chapter 1 tells us of the genealogy of Jesus and the appearance of Jesus on the scene. And what really happened when Christ was born? Was it a time of peace and tranquility for the family? Was it a time of peace and tranquility for the family? Absolutely not. What really happened? Somebody just give me a short synopsis of what happened when the angel announced the birth and Jesus was born and shortly after he was born and the king knew at the time that Jesus was around, what happened? What, what did the family have to do? Let me lead. What did the family have to do? They had to flee their town because they wanted to protect what? They wanted to protect the life of Jesus, right? Absolutely. So it wasn't Yes, it, it wasn't all 
you know, a time of tranquility. It was a blessed time because now the Messiah had arrived on, arrived on the scene. And this is what the world had waited for. But you look back at the book of Genesis and you see where the Creator promised enmity between us, his people, and those who are opposing God. And anyone that falls into that category, whether it's human being or angels, they're opposers of God. God's going to put enmity between his people and those who are opposers of God. At the Savior's baptism, we're told by Ellen White in Desire of Ages, Satan was among the witnesses, right? He saw everything that happened and he heard God speaking and confirming that Jesus was his beloved son, right? You think he was happy when Jesus got to that point of conformation? Absolutely not. God is now confirming that Christ is his beloved son again for a second time. And now the devil understood by studying the prophecies that Jesus had a major work of restoration to be accomplished, right? When Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted, he was, not led, he was led by the Spirit of God. He did not invite temptation, and we have, to be, we have to watch this. We're told by the same author that we should guard well the avenues to our soul. We should not walk into places or situations that cause us to invite temptation. He went in because he was led to be tempted. He had a work to do. He went to the wilderness to be alone, to contemplate his mission and work. He had three and a half years left. By fasting and prayer, he was to brace himself for the bloodstained path he must travel. But Satan knew that the Savior had gone into the wilderness, and he thought this the best time to approach him. Mighty issues for the world were at stake in the conflict between the prince of light and the leader of the kingdom of darkness. We were being, you know, I didn't realize I didn't put my microphone on until I touched my chest. We were being fought over. So after his baptism, he walked away from the scene, never to return for 40 days and 40 nights. And if you remember the story that uh, David uh, spoke when he was talking about his experience in the wilderness when he uh, kept sheep. They were wild animals, right? And so Jesus is going in a place that is unsafe, but felt safe. And why was he doing this? Twofold. If man could be saved, his father's character would be vindicated from the lie. 
that the enemy told. If we could be saved, then his father's character would be vindicated. Amen. The lie, God's law cannot be kept. Is that true? I know it's a little hot in here, but there's no reason for people to be sleeping. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. When God's written word was spoken by Satan, when God's spoken word was given, Satan studied the prophecies of the Savior's advent. From generation to generation, he worked to build the people, blind. or blind, sorry, thank you, the people to these prophecies that they might reject Christ at his coming. Did you hear that? From generation to generation, he worked to blind the people to those or these prophecies that they might reject Christ at his coming. It's past tense now, but to those would be fine. At the birth of Jesus, Satan knew that one had come with a divine commission to dispute his domain. He Amen. claimed the world. Amen. He claimed the world. She said he trembled at the angel's message attesting the authority of the newborn king. Satan well knew the position of Christ, right? He knew before Christ came here. He could not fathom, and this is one of the words that we were harping on last week. He could not fathom the mystery of this great sacrifice. He could not fathom. His selfish soul could not understand such love for the deceived race. Again I say, if man could be saved, God's character would be vindicated. Since he had lost heaven, he was determined to find revenge by causing others to share his fall. That's you and me. This he would do by causing them to undervalue things. Has he succeeded? Absolutely. He has. This he would do by causing them to undervalue heavenly things and to set the heart upon things on earth. I would say he has gained 100% success. Not without hindrance was the commander of heaven to win the souls of men to his kingdom. Mm. The image of God was manifest in Christ and in the counsels of Satan. It was determined. It was determined. It was determined. He should be overcome. Christ was victor. But why do we talk about this? He, he, he already gained the victory. So why do we go back 2,000 years to talk about this? Bear with me. The forces of the confederacy of evil were set upon his track to engage in warfare against him. And if possible, to prevail over him. Did you hear that? The evil or the forces of the confederacy of evil were set upon his track to engage in warfare against him and if possible to prevail against him. Say after me. I want you to do this because 
it may linger in your head for a little bit. Satan saw that he must either conquer or be conquered. Satan saw that he must either conquer or be conquered. I'll repeat so you can say it again. Satan saw that he must e either conquer or be conquered. Satan saw that he must either conquer or be conquered. The issues of the conflict involve. The issue of the conflict involves. Too much. The issues of the conflict involved too much. The issue of the conflict. To be entrusted to his confederate angels. To be entrusted to his confederate angels. He must wage the war. He must personally wage the warfare. He must personally wage the warfare. All. 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 I'm trying to remember that one key word. All the energies. Lord, bring this back to my mind. It's important that we remember. In Jesus' name. Satan saw that he must either conquer or be conquered. Repeat. It's okay. Satan saw that he must be conquered or be conquered. Yeah, you're falling asleep on me. I'm, I'm, I remember what I need to say. I'm just, I'm just praying in my heart. <coughs> and I'm going to tell you why I'm doing this in a minute. You, I'm going to reveal it on the screen. <coughs> it's amazing. Because if I don't go through, it means I will fail. If I don't go through, it means I have failed. I have lost. I have lost. I, wanted, I just want to go back a little bit. The forces of the confederacy of evil were set upon his track to engage in warfare against him. And you're going to learn in a minute that his character was superior to mine. And if they engage against me, who is much weaker than Christ, and I don't have his life, I'm going to fail. I'll say the thing for you. You looking for it? You do. Yes.
all the energies. Yes, the warfare. were rallied against the Son of God, the mark of every weapon of hell. Think about it. When I, when I was studying, I got to this point, and I was just sitting there thinking about this whole thing, that I've had 60 years to live, and yet I'm failing still. And I've made concentrated effort to participate with the Lord. Uh, you know, and, and they, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. You, you have to really think about it. Let's move on. As a matter of fact, we have a few slides that we're going to use. What does she say? Many look, Many look on this conflict between Christ and Satan as having no special bearing on, on their, their own, own life. life. And for them... And for them it has little interest. But within the domain of everything... Do, do, you, do you see that? Yes. We're talking about people in church, you know. We're not talking about the world. The world, the world is on a different plane. On a different Cartesian plane, right? That's math. That's some... And for them it has little interest. But within the domain of every human heart, this, this controversy, controversy is repeated. This is, this, is, this is where I have the problem. It's, it's, and I think about it. Never does. Never. Yeah, I'm going to skip that sentence, but, but you understand. If, if, you leave God, if you leave Satan, yes, he's going to bother you. But the enticements which Christ resisted were those that we find so difficult to withstand. He resisted, but we find it so difficult to withstand. They were urged upon him in as much greater degree as his character is superior to ours. But yeah, we can't stand it. Yet we fail. We're not doing something right. I guess we're not surrendering enough. With the terrible weight of sins, uh, with the terrible weight of the sins of the world upon him, Christ withstood the test upon. Repeat, say that word. It, it has to do with food. It, food. Every time we read about appetite and you research her writings, it's talking about food, right? Food. Uh, people say it has something to do with other things. Upon the love of the world. Christ. And upon love of display. Love of display which leads to presumption. These right. were the temptations that overcame Adam and Eve. And that so readily overcome us. Overcome us. Love of display. So I decided to look at her writings and see if she has anything that she wants to explain further. Because I, I, I get it, but I want to just probably read it to you. I'm going to read two uh, paragraphs from two different locations. I think they both come from child guidance. One of them is from child guidance, I'm not sure. But there's a lot of them there. She says, many of the young are eager for books, 
They read everything they can obtain. Uh, by, the, by the way, let me give you the meaning of presumption first before I move along. That's what I should have done. It's a behavior perceived as arrogant, disrespectful, and transgressing the limits of what is permitted or appropriate. I'll read it again. Behavior perceived as arrogant, disrespectful, and transgressing the limit of what is permitted or appropriate. So when we are presumptuous, <laughs> we go on beyond the limit. She said, many of the young are eager for books. They read everything they can obtain, exciting love stories and the specimens of nude art displayed in art galleries. Let me read it again. Exciting love stories and the specimens of nude art display in art galleries have a corrupting influence. The imagination becomes defiled. Then follow sins and crimes which drag beings formed in the image of God down below the level of brutes and sink them at last in perdition. Mm -mm. Avoid reading and seeing things which will suggest impure thoughts. Cultivate a love for high moral and intellectual themes. Let not the noble powers of the mind become enfeebled and perverted by much reading of even storybooks. I know of strong minds that have been unbalanced and almost paralyzed by intemperance and indiscriminate in, in rather reading. Here's another thing she talks about mothers. So in other words, there are things that are before us there are things that affect us. And let me explain because this, uh, this might make it a little plainer. Love of display can be found on my person. The way I dress. My display of jewelry. My hairstyle. My big hat. My big hairstyle. Blocking the view of somebody else. You, you know, people get extravagant, in other words. My car. My house. The way I fix my house. And so on and so forth. Display is showing beyond a certain limit. That's the basics. The fruitage of the love of display is another paragraph from um, Child Guidance. Love of dress and pleasure is wrecking the happiness of thousands. And some of those who profess to love and keep the commandments of God... Uh, ape this class as near as they possibly can and remain the Christian and retain the Christian name. Some of the young are so eager to display that they are even willing to give up the Christian name if they can only follow or follow out their inclination for vanity of dress and love of pleasure. So display come in all forms. And one of the things that we're told that we uh, have a problem with is display, which leads to presumption. And by the way, love of the world is the answer that I gave you further. Remember I mentioned that? That anything that takes the place of God takes over, that is actually worldliness. 
it's a broad category. And appetite has to do with food. And if you have no control over your eating habits, Satan had pointed to Adam's sin as proof that God's, laws was, God, God's law was unjust and could not be, be obeyed. obeyed. My time is gone. But when Adam was assailed by the tempter, none of the effects of sin were upon him. He stood in the strength of perfect manhood, possessing the full vigor of mind and body. He was surrounded with the glories of Eden, and it was his daily communion with, and it and was in daily communion with heavenly beings. It was not thus with Jesus when he entered the wilderness to cope with Satan. For four thousand years, the race had been decreasing in physical strength, in, in mental, mental power, power and in moral, moral worth. worth. And Christ took upon him the infirmities of a degenerate human. Humanity. Only humanity. Only thus could he uh, rescue man from his lowest depths of, of degradation. In other words, Jesus could have fallen to the temptations of the enemy. It was possible. It was possible. But he chose not to. Amen. While he was in the wilderness, he was, he was shut up with the Father for a period of time. Amen. You know how we're talking about those highs and these lows in life? Where that was a high in, a, in, 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 um, in the process of aiding him to go through the fast. Can you imagine 40 days and 40 nights? When I was at the mission, I called for a fast. I don't remember where I got the idea from. It must, must be from the thing here. And I said to the folk, we're not going to fast altogether from food completely. We're not going to go 40 days without eating. What I'd like us to do is, in our preparation for the Lord to actually fill us and work with us, let's decide, all of us together, to eat raw food only. So I decided to go to Whole Foods and we bought bulk vegetables and so on and so forth and, and we participated. And week one, people were having problems. So I just invited them to join again. They fell off, join again, just come right back on. And there were a few of us who went for 40 days eating just raw food. I wanted to see, and, and now that I'm talking about it, I wanted to see how close I could get to Jesus, eating just raw food while he ate nothing. It was a challenge for some folk. But praise God, at the time, uh, we all learned something. We all learned our ability to forbear, our ability to put stuff down and to refuse what's in the refrigerator or what comes on the computer screen or what the billboard says, we got to learn about ourselves a little bit more. And praise God for those who were victorious. Amen. So while he was in the wilderness, 
he was contemplating, and I know Jesus is not a white man, so you don't have to tell me, all right? He, was, he looked like the people of his time, so that's all right. This is just an artist's uh, rendition. He was in the wilderness, um, just contemplating his work. And we are told that he, by doing so, fasting for so long, his form changed. That's skinny. He was emaciated is the word that is presented to us. In other words, he lost a lot of weight. He didn't look happy. Then the other expression that we see that is very outstanding is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a challenge for Jesus Amen. to go through. And what was he doing in all this? He was expressing his love for his children. He was going to live up to the promise that he had made to Adam and Eve. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you know the prayer. He is, he's wrestling with his father. He wants to make it through. It's not the beginning of the time of his, of his work. And he had three and a half years, as I said earlier. Now he's down to the very last moment. The very last moment. She describes him in the garden, struggling, gripping on to things as if he was going to be drawn into the earth itself. Great drops of blood came from his face. And why was he doing this? Express his love for you and for me. That's all he was doing. He could have stayed in heaven and never came here and started over with Adam and Eve. Satan, we're told, could not comprehend this mystery. He was taken before Annas. He was taken before Caiaphas. These criminals, Herod, Pilate. The only one that tried to save him was Pilate, but eventually gave in. He then had to bear his cross. Why? Because he said he loved us. He loved us. He loves us. Whichever way you want it. There's a song that says, I'll give you the song. What, lo what wondrous love is this, oh my soul. Oh my soul. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down, when I was sinking down beneath God's righteous form, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. To the Lamb, I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb, I will sing. Who is the great I am? I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. And when from death I am free, I will sing on, I will sing on. 
shall sing and joyful be and through eternity I'll sing on and how do we love God in return by surrendering and obeying his command as he provides the strength to us love begets love Jesus did not come to men with commands and threatenings, but with love that is without a parallel. Love begets love, and thus the love of Christ displayed upon the cross woos and wins the sinner and binds him repenting to the cross, believing and adoring the matchless depths of a Savior's love. Christ came to the world to perfect, to perfect rather, a righteous character for many and to elevate the fallen race. And I praise the Lord for that. Mine can be perfected. But only a few of the millions in the world will accept the righteousness and excellency of his character and fulfill the requirements given to secure their happiness. For the last time, say after me. Never can the cost of our salvation be realized. Until the redeemed shall stand with the Redeemer, until the redeemed shall stand with the redeemer before the throne of God before the throne of God pause can you imagine standing in the presence of the almighty with Jesus standing beside you then you will begin to understand the cost let's say that again never can the cost of our salvation be realized Never can the cost of our salvation be realized until the redeemed shall stand with the Redeemer. Until the redeemed shall stand with the Redeemer before the throne of God. Before the throne of God. Glories then of the eternal home. Then as the glories of the eternal home burst upon our enraptured senses. Burst upon our enraptured senses. We shall remember. We shall remember. That Jesus left all this for us. That Jesus left all this for us. That he not only became an exile from the heavenly courts. That he not only became an exile from the heavenly courts. But for us he took the risk of failure and eternal loss. But for us he took the risk of failure and eternal loss. And as we stand there, uh, pause, and as we stand here contemplating, looking at heaven, such a marvelous place, beyond our wildest imagination, you get a million years, you couldn't even think about it. She says, we shall cast our crown at his feet. Say that. And we, we shall cast, cast our, our crown at, his, at feet his feet and raise the song. And raise the song. This, by the way, pause. This song is written in Revelation. Let's go again. 
Then we shall cast our crown at his feet. Then we shall cast our crowns at his feet. And raise the song. And raise the song. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. That was slain. That was slain. To receive power. To receive power. And riches. And riches. And honor. And honor. And strength. And strength. And glory. And glory. And blessing. And blessing. I missed one thing, but I can't remember what it is. And power. Power and is power. missing from that. I praise the Lord for his mercies. Amen. And his love. Amen. I have an opportunity and this privilege to make it into that kingdom. Amen. Long prepared for us. Hallelujah. Jesus went back 2,000 years ago and he brought witnesses from the earth with him. And the rest of us are still waiting. I hope you don't lose hope. Amen. No matter what the world brings, study the word of God and cling to him. Amen. Invite him in your life constantly. We will make it. If we are surrendered, we will make, make it. it. Jesus has lived the perfect life. Amen. And he says he could live his life through us. Yes. I believe. We need to just open and let him in. Surrender. Nothing that seems to hold us back is really powerful enough to do so yes. unless we let it. Truly. She says, Satan cannot force you to do anything. As a matter of fact, I missed that reading. I didn't, I didn't present it. He cannot force you. He can bring it to you. But you have to choose. So when we fall, it's because we gave in. Remember this. If you surrender and allow the life of Christ to be lived out through you, the detail is in the book you will definitely make it. Amen. Keep your hopes high. Yes. The price has been paid. The victory has already been won. You want to surrender to Christ? Do you want to surrender at this moment? The question I'm asking Amen. is, is do you? Yes. Let's pray. My Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that when someone fails he has an advocate with the Father Jesus the righteous. Hallelujah. I pray that everyone will gain that benefit will be willing to accept the life of Christ and the power that is provided. Thank you very much for your blessing upon my voice, upon my mind, my mind, upon the hearing of your people. Amen. And I ask that you will continue to be with us. May we go home and contemplate these things. Yes, Lord. Research them for ourselves. Build ourselves up in the word and be strengthened by the God 
who provides his spirit for all men. Thanks again for hearing, O God, our plea and presenting for us your sacrifice on our behalf. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.